0: Open your Bibles to Mark's Gospel again, the ninth chapter, Mark chapter 9. Let me encourage you, we are now officially in our run-up to Easter now. We've got four weeks here, so you want to be here every week. You'd miss something with Easter if you just blow in on Easter Sunday morning after not being in church. You want to go through the whole experience of Jesus trial, his crucifixion and then the resurrection. But bring somebody with you. You know somebody in your life who doesn't know the Lord, they need to be in church. Maybe they've drifted away from church, they attended in the past. You just call them up and say, "Come on, come to church with me. I'll pick you up, I'll bring you to the service. We will have a great Easter if we intend to make it a great Easter." It can be just another Sunday. If we just choose to do it that way too. Let's give God the worship He deserves on Easter Sunday morning. So you be here every week. I'm going to begin reading in the second verse of Mark chapter 9. You follow along as I read out loud. Mark records, after six days, Jesus took with Him Peter, James, and John, And led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And Jesus was transfigured before them. His clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses. And they were talking with Jesus. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus charged them to tell no one what they had just seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. Now drop down to verse 30. Mark says, they went on from there and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. They came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked him, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had been arguing with one another about who was the greatest. Jesus sat down and called the twelve. And he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be the last of all and servant of all. Jesus took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me, receives not me, but him who sent me. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Blessed are those who hear it and obey it. If you're here regularly, you know that we usually take a short passage of scripture and we focus on that in our Bible study or or in the sermon. And that's a good way to study, to just dig deep into the text and find out what it means and how it applies to our lives. But when you do that, you sometimes will miss the bigger picture. And so this morning I read two different stories that normally would be preached separately. But there's something to be said by stringing stories together and seeing the progression. Seeing what's going on behind the stories, that will actually add to our understanding of what's taking place. So let's do that today. Let's look at the two stories that we just read, but also a third story that was between that we skipped reading. I'll tell you about that in a few minutes. We start off in Mark's gospel in the second verse there. He tells us that Jesus was transfigured. How many of you wondered to yourself when I read that, what the heck does that mean? right? Jesus was transfigured, Mark tells us. Well, what's he say? Look at that verse 2 again. He was transfigured before them. Verse 3, his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. Well, the way Mark tells us, it's the focus is on his clothes. They were really glowing. They were really bright white. But in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew tells us during this experience that Jesus' face itself Began to glow. His face shone like the sun, Matthew says. And his clothes became white as light. Luke tells us in his gospel that while Jesus was praying, the appearance of his face was altered. And his clothing became dazzling white. Again, the question is, what in the world is going on here? Well, the word that's used there that that he was Transfigured is the same word from the Greek that we get our word metamorphosis. Jesus morphed there like a butterfly that comes out of a cocoon. There was something taking place. It wasn't though a change in who Jesus was. His nature was the same. Jesus didn't change. What changed was how he appeared. You see, when Jesus took on flesh, his God nature was clothed in his human flesh. And for one brief moment, it's as if Jesus let his flesh be pulled back and his divine nature came out. He didn't change, but those three disciples were able to see who Jesus really is. Because I don't know about you, I've seen some people get glowing mad, right? I've never seen this. Neither had the disciples. How did it happen? I don't know. I also don't know how God can take on human flesh. But I believe it. Because the Word of God teaches it. I don't have to understand how something happens to believe it happened. If God's word says that Jesus began to glow and became bright white, okay. His divinity, his God nature began to glow and come through. And while Jesus is in this state, boom, all of a sudden two figures appear. Moses and Elijah. We're not told in the story, how did the disciples know who those two guys were? Those were two Old Testament figures who had been dead for hundreds of years. Now, I don't need to tell you this, do I? There were no pictures back then. It wasn't like, Peter, James, and John had gone to school and seen pictures of these men who'd lived. They'd never seen them before. When they appeared, did they have little name tags on? My name is Moses. <laughs> we don't know. Did, when they appeared, did Jesus said, hey, Moses, how you doing? All we know is they appeared and the disciples knew who they were. That would have been cool, wouldn't it? Verse 4 tells us that Jesus began talking to Moses and Elijah. Now, people, that's one conversation I would have liked to have heard. What would Moses and Elijah and the Son of God be talking about? I'm pretty sure they weren't talking about the football score from the day before. You know what I mean? They would have been talking about something important, something significant they were probably talking about what Jesus was about to go through, the crucifixion and the resurrection. Let's set this story aside for just a moment. In verse 31, we're told that Jesus again, after this experience on the mountain, He begins to tell the disciples that He's going to be killed. Verse 31, He was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. And when he's killed after three days, he will rise. Notice again, the wording that Jesus uses is important. He doesn't say the son of man might be killed. It's possible. No, Jesus definitively says, I will be killed. And just as definitively, he says, I will rise from the dead. No question in Jesus' mind, these things will happen. Verse 32. Mark tells us the truth. The disciples have no idea what Jesus means by this. They didn't understand what rising from the dead means. We see that back in verse 10. This idea of resurrection just went right over their heads. They couldn't understand how the Messiah was going to be killed. Understand, Messiah means Savior, God's anointed one. How could God's Savior be killed? That doesn't sound like much of a Savior, does it? We need somebody to help us. If he gets killed, he can't even help himself which is what they taunted Jesus with while he's on the cross. Oh, he said he could save others, but he can't even save himself. What kind of savior gets killed? They couldn't get past that to then get to the second thing that Jesus taught. I'm going to be raised from the dead. Their brains were just short-circuited at that point. They, They fried the fuses. They're gone. This doesn't make sense to us. What could the resurrection mean to people who've never seen resurrection before? It's difficult for us to understand how clueless they were because we've spent 2,000 years every year celebrating the resurrection. To us, how could you not understand the resurrection? Because we've never known a time when we didn't know about the resurrection. They've never seen it. They've they've never heard of this before. Now jump back to the previous story in verse 7. When they're on that mountain, Moses and Elijah appears with Jesus and they start talking to him. Look at verse 7. A cloud then comes down from heaven and overshadows and encompasses them. And out of that cloud, a voice comes out and says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Now, if you've spent any time reading the Old Testament, you know that clouds and mountains are significant because where did Moses get the law? He went all the way up Mount Sinai, remember? And a cloud came down and spoke to him out of that, in that experience. And so Mark is helping us to understand that this is a divine encounter in the same way that God came down in the old Testament in a cloud and spoke on a mountain. That's what he's doing here. And so when you see mountain, you see cloud, you don't think, Hmm, I wonder whose voice that was. We know when a cloud comes down on a mountain, this is God, the father speaking. And what does he say? This is my son. Now, Moses and Elijah were not there by accident. It wasn't like God was in heaven one day and saying, Yeah, who wants to go down and talk to my boy? And Moses and Elijah said, Well, we'll go. They went specifically because they represent something. Moses, the one who led God's people out of Egypt, is also attributed with writing the first five books of the Bible known as the law. Moses is seen as the great law giver, even though he didn't give the law. The law was given to him and he passed it on to God's people. Elijah was the first great, some would say the greatest prophet of all of Israel's history. And so with these two men, you have two major sections of the Old Testament, the law and the prophets represented. That's it. There's also history, there's also poetry, but those were the two big sections of the Old Testament, law and the prophets. And while this great lawgiver, this great prophet are here, there's a voice from heaven that says, hey, that's my boy, listen to him. Not that the law has been done away with, not that the prophecies have been done away with, but God is saying, even greater than this lawgiver, even greater than this prophet is my son. Hear him. In Hebrews, remember when we went through that Hebrew study, we were told again and again that the Son is God's best word to us. In the past, God spoke, spoke through prophets, but now He's spoken to us through His Son. Now put the two stories together. What we saw last week and what we saw today. The disciples have not been listening to Jesus. Jesus. It's not just that they didn't understand. They didn't understand. But it's more than that. They weren't listening. Jesus said, I'm going to be killed. And Peter's like, No, you're not. When Jesus is raised from the dead, the women come back from the tomb and he says, He's risen, He's risen. And they're like, No, he didn't. Uh uh-uh. uh. They didn't, if they were listening to Jesus when the women had come back and said, He's risen. They'd said, Well, no duh. He told us He was. Why did the voice from heaven say, This is my son. Listen to him. Because they weren't. They didn't hear what Jesus was saying. They didn't believe in the resurrection, not because they didn't understand it because they weren't listening to Jesus. And when the women came back from the tomb and they said, he's arisen, they're like, oh, so that's what he meant. It all makes sense now. They wouldn't have been, Thomas, God bless Thomas. I'm not believing it unless I touch him. Jesus told you this numerous times. It was going to happen. And... Come on, people. There was a voice from heaven saying, Listen to him. Pay attention. They needed that. In this experience on the mountain, Jesus' flesh was pulled back enough so that his divinity shone through. That's what happened in the resurrection. Jesus appears to the disciples after the resurrection. They're in a closed room behind locked doors and suddenly Jesus appears. And that doesn't, this isn't normal people. That doesn't tip them off. You see what I'm saying? Jesus' divinity is being shown here. Moses is there, a great teacher. Elijah is there, a great teacher. And when Jesus begins to glow, is He a great teacher? Yes, but He's got to be more than that. Because I've had some pretty good teachers in my life, but none of them glowed. Right? God is showing them Jesus is something different. This voice from heaven isn't pointing to Jesus just because he's a good teacher. He says, this is my beloved son, a unique description that can apply to no one else. And Jesus is to be listened to precisely because he is the son of God. And he has been sent into the world to speak for God. Now, drop down to verse 33. Verse 33 says, They came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked the disciples, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had been arguing with one another about who was the greatest. Why do you think they kept quiet when Jesus asked them? Were they ashamed? Were they embarrassed? Was part of it because they knew that they had been wrong in arguing about who's greatest? The disciples were told were arguing. They weren't just discussing. They were arguing who was the greatest. Oh, I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. They were going back and forth. Now, what would be the basis for the 12 disciples to start arguing amongst themselves about who was the greatest? Let me give you two possibilities. We've now seen two times in Mark's gospel where Jesus takes three disciples and goes with just them. One, when he healed the little girl, when he raised her from the dead, he took Peter, James, and John and went into the room and raised the little girl a few weeks ago. Then today, when they go up on the Mount of Transfiguration, does he take all twelve? No, he takes Peter, James, and John. Now ladies, you don't understand this because you're not a man. But you know what happened when the three disciples get back. Ha 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 ha, Jesus took us, he didn't take you. Because men can be mature like that, did you know? And so naturally, you'd have the three over here, (sighs) Jesus likes us better than you. And the other nine, how come he always takes them? Right? Another possibility is the middle story that we skipped over today between the transfiguration and the argument about... Who's the greatest? In the middle there, the passage we over, we didn't read, we, we skipped over that, is a story about while Jesus is on the mount with the three disciples being transfigured, the nine disciples are down in the valley, and a man comes to them, he's got a demon possessed child, and he asks the nine if they could cast out the demon, and they try and they fail. And when Jesus comes down the mount, He's told they tried and failed to get this demon cast out, and Jesus' is like, oh, you've little faith. And He casts the demon out. So back to the question of who's the greatest. I think it could have come out of that story. Peter, James, and John are up on the mountain with Jesus, seeing Him being glorified, and hearing the voice from heaven, and they came down and says, well, you, you do know that if we'd been here, we could have cast that demon out. Yeah, you knuckleheads, you couldn't do it, but had we been here, we could have done it. Because we're Jesus and us, we're like this, right? And so I can see how the three would be just shaking their head, laughing. Can you believe these guys? And so you can see the natural break between the three and the nine. Who's greatest? And so they're arguing amongst themselves, I'm the greatest, no, no, it's me. There's a discussion, though, that we're not told about in the Bible that I wish would have taken place. When they started arguing about who was the greatest, I wish one of those three disciples that had been on the mountain I wish one of those three would have said, Guys, we really ought not to be arguing about this. Well, why? I I can't tell you. But I'm telling you, we saw something on the mountain here that tells us we're not the greatest. Just trust me. That conversation never happened. Jesus has just been transfigured before them. They have seen His glory. How do I know that? Because John, one of the people on the mountain who saw it in his gospel in the first chapter, said, we have seen the glory of God. And they come down the mountain and start arguing with themselves. Two, the degrees. Oh. What is wrong with that? You're missing the point here, people. Are they talking about how great Jesus is? No, they're arguing amongst themselves which one of them is greatest. Now look at verse thirty-five. Jesus, after they admit, you know, he, he, they're, they're arguing about uh, who's the greatest, they won't even admit it. Jesus calls them on it. Verse thirty-five. Jesus sat down and he called the twelve and he said to them. If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. People, our selfishness is ruining our Christian walk. Because we're so focused on ourselves and who's greater. Jesus is teaching again and again that we must lay down our lives... For each other. 35, he says, you got to be a servant of all. I got a problem with that. That I'm supposed to serve some people, maybe, but everybody? That's what Jesus says. Then Jesus grabs a kid. He grabs a child and he sets the kid right in the middle. And he uses this child as an object lesson. Let's talk about this kid. Jesus begins to talk about the kingdom then as represented as a child. This is key. A child is not a picture of power. They're not. Children are weak. When countries go to battle, they don't grab children to do it. Children are weak. In our perspective, children are not valued because in our perspective, we value people who can do stuff for us. What can a kid do for you? Nothing. They got, you got to take care of them. We value relationships where people can do something for us. And if they can't do something for us, what do I need you for? But the kingdom of God comes to those who are like children. Not childish, not immature, but have a childlike faith. Yet how many of us think that we're strong enough? Yeah, I I know some people need that God stuff, but I'm doing pretty good. Our strength, or what we think is our strength, is getting in the way of us having faith and being like a child. I still remember when my youngest daughter was very young and she, we were, we were going someplace one night and she was just at that point where she had learned how to zip her coat. It's freezing outside, zip up your coat. She's trying like the Dickens to get that thing started and she can't. And so I said, here, let me help you. No, I can do it. She couldn't. Finally, her sister said, here, let me help you. I can do it. And she struggles. We're all standing around waiting for her to zip your coat. Until she tries and tries and tries and she can't do it. Until finally she says, I can't do it. And then she lets us do it. That's a picture of what Jesus is talking about. As long as we keep trying to do it ourselves, as long as we keep telling ourselves that we can do it, we won't open ourselves up to letting God do it. As long as we're arguing with ourselves who's greatest... We won't open ourselves up to the one who is greatest, who can do it. Now, let's put a finer point on this while we're here. We are so busy comparing ourselves to other people and how great we're doing that we don't focus on how great Jesus is. You see, compared to Jesus in all his glory, we're nothing. We will never get too big for our britches by focusing on Jesus. Now let's bring this down to where we live today. Not everyone sees who Jesus really is. The fact that Jesus separated the three from the other nine is an important lesson for us. Not everybody got to see Jesus that day. Only three of them did. The same is true today. The world that you live in, so many of the people that you see every day, they have not seen Jesus the way you have. They don't see Jesus in his glory. You ever been why why don't they see it? Cuz they haven't seen it. How many of us today claim that we have seen Jesus for more than just a man? Right? Then why aren't we jumping into the middle of petty disputes and saying, people, we ought not to be arguing about this stuff. You see the point? We claim that we've seen Jesus, but then we act like we haven't. God has allowed us to see Jesus in all of His glory in a way that many people haven't then why are we acting like the world who hasn't seen Him in all His glory? You see, the disciples were great. They were. Great at missing the obvious. God has let Jesus' glory shine through and they missed it. They didn't see the significance of that. And then there's a voice from heaven that says, listen to him. And they did. Are we listening to Jesus? You see that voice from heaven that says, this is my son. Listen to him. It wasn't just for the three disciples. That was for us too. And yet, how many of us today are not listening to Jesus? You see, listening to Jesus doesn't mean hearing what He says and then ignoring it. Parents, we do this all the time. We say to our kids, are you listening to me? We know they hear us. What? If your kid looks at you and says, oh yeah, I heard you you will wring their little neck. I know you heard me. Your ears work. It's not about, do you hear me? Why aren't you doing what I said to do? What? You think when we get to heaven, God's going to say, did you listen to Jesus? Oh, yeah, I heard him. And God's like, well, that's, that's cool. That's all I wanted. It's not about hearing him and ignoring him. Jesus said, everyone who hears my words and puts them into practice is the wise man. The fool is the one who hears them, but then doesn't do it. Now we talk about why the disciples were silent. When Jesus said, what were you arguing about? What were you talking about along the way? Because they'd been arguing about who was the greatest. I wonder if the disciples ever had a conversation after the resurrection. Looking at each other and saying, man, were we stupid? Gosh, what were we thinking? Arguing amongst ourselves about who's the greatest when the son of God is right there in our midst. They missed it. Jesus was showing them true greatness. Now listen to me. He wasn't showing them true greatness by saying, here's the truth, I'm really God. Jesus was showing them true greatness by showing them that God could become a servant and die. Jesus wasn't just teaching that the first has to become the last and the last will become first. He lived it. He was showing them true greatness by laying aside His God nature so He could die for us. And He says, now that's how you're supposed to be. The disciples are so self-centered, it's like they're not hearing what Jesus is saying. But this is not a sermon about them. It's a sermon for us. How many of us are so self-centered, we don't see how great Jesus is. That voice from heaven that says, listen to my boy. Come on, people. We come into church, sing our little songs, and then we go home and ignore Jesus. We're not listening to Jesus when he says we must lay down our lives. If we don't, we're going to lose our life. Yeah, well, that's not what he really meant. Yes, it is. If you're going to be my disciple, you must do these things. And if we don't, we're not his disciple. That's not a judgment of me. That's what Jesus says. It's not a suggestion. Hey, this would be really cool if you think about laying down your life for others. Jesus said, it's a command. Do it. And if we don't obey that, then Jesus is not our Lord. This is the only way we're going to find life. By giving up our lives completely for God. That's why we sang the song this morning. I give myself away. We come in there to worship and we say, God, I give you my life. Why? What's the song say? So I can be used by you. If we're so selfish that we can't be used by God, we are not disciples of Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we're thankful for the image of Jesus that you allow us to see who he truly is. And God, we confess this morning that the disciples weren't the only clueless ones. Too often we're busy living clueless lives as well. Pushing to the front of the line, demanding what we want, being so self-centered, we miss the true greatness of who Jesus is. The fact that we might be better than somebody else is irrelevant. The only thing that matters is Jesus is greatest. And without Him, we would all be lost. God, help us to hear Your voice today saying, listen to my Son. Not so we can just hear Him and ignore Him, but so we can hear Him and put His words into practice. Help us to see that for Christians, following Christ is not an option. It's the only way. And help us as we leave today to go out into the world and to live that life where we serve all. We stop trying to be served, but we serve everyone with the gospel. And God, as we sow these seeds, as we water your word in the life of other people, God, we pray that you'd bring them to faith as well. Bless us this week as we are faithful to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.